Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Ben Schumann Solar. Morning. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm extremely positive and optimistic today. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited. Uh, we have somebody that you really love working with and whose sort of idea world sticks with us. Yeah. So what can we look forward to today? What do we got? We have the esteemed Natalie Liu. Natalie Liu is a, um, well, she introduces herself in many different ways. She's an author. She's a former podcaster, which is how I was introduced to her work, her podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And Natalie, most recently, is the author of The Joy of Saying No, a really, really great book. I was very excited to read it. I found it really helpful. I saw a lot of myself in there. I saw a lot of things that I've been working on growing out of and that I know a lot of people around me are really actively working on now. And I thought it would be really useful to bring it to the Simplify audience. So in addition to just loving Natalie's work, which is all about boundary setting, um, knowing when to say no, why to say no, what it really means and what you're doing when you put up or place a boundary, this book will give you a bunch of new ways to think about boundaries and why you say yes to things and why you might want to rethink your yeses and your noes. So we should just play the interview, but what's one thing that people should look forward to? Or is it that? Is it just about how to say no and boundaries? Or is there a moment people should look for? Or Yeah. Well, we hear the term people pleaser a lot, right? It's like kind of zeitgeisty. It has been for a couple of years mm. now, but you see it everywhere. You hear it on a lot of podcasts. It's all around. Yeah. But I love her reframe of of people pleasing. And she says, people pleasing is a misappropriation of your good qualities. It's the equivalent of trying to Jedi mind trick people into thinking how you want them to think, feeling the way that you want them to feel so that you'll get a reward. Ooh. And I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, so it really, people-pleasing was shown in a whole new light for me reading this book, and I think it's a really important reframe. So listen up for that, and I really want to talk more about this with you afterwards. Okay, let's play it. Let's do it. Hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for joining me today. You are a woman of many hats and many different talents, so I'll let you say who you are and what you do now. I am an author and writer used to be a podcaster, mm. definitely an artist who really talks about anything and everything to do with boundaries and relationships, really through the lens of how do we heal the emotional baggage that causes us to make choices that lead to us, for instance, being in unhealthy relationships or not having work boundaries or not taking great care of ourselves and so people pleasing. Mm. And I have done that on my website, Baggage Reclaim, for almost 18 years. Wow. And I have written five books, my most recent one being The Joy of Saying No. Mm -hmm. I have a Substack. I'm a busy woman. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about the joy of saying no. I loved it. And I, I love it also because it's in your dulcet tone. So everyone listening, if you want the joy of saying no, I would say get it in audiobook. Get both versions, but get it in audiobook so you can listen to Nat read her own work. It's great. And I love how the book starts out with some, some statements to help someone determine whether or not they're a people pleaser. Here are a few of the ones that, that made me feel very called out. They are... I say yes and piss people off for backing out when I don't have the bandwidth or skills. This is the thing I used to do and do less of now. Um, missed out on things I genuinely want to do because I said yes to someone else's priorities. And then there was, I use hints to try to get others to understand my needs and wants rather than communicating. 
And I stopped it and I was like, why does she have to drag me at 8 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I loved about this, you have five types of people pleaser. And I think that every single one of us can find one of these profiles that we identify with, if not many, and we can really understand the people around us and why they do the things they do so much better through that lens. Um, and could you take us through in a, a brief way, maybe your the top few that you see the most in your work, or if you'd like to take us through all, all five of them, that's also great. Whatever you think is the most useful, whatever you want people to know about these. Yeah, I can take you quickly through all five. And, all right, you know. great. So the five styles are gooding, efforting, avoiding, saving, and suffering. And the names in and of themselves tell you about what it is that drives the people-pleasing, but also what it is that we be or do mm. or try to present in order to try to please others. So somebody who has the style of gooding, or we call them a gooder, Mm. is somebody who is concerned, very concerned with being liked. Mm. And they are driven by a need to be perceived as good. Mm -hmm. They want to look good, even if they're not necessarily always doing things that are quote unquote good. They want to give the impression of that. They can sometimes even be moralistic about that, but it's this fear of being seen as bad. And so people who are have that gooding style, see themselves as like good girl, good guy, you know, the good boy, yeah. the good something. It could be the good, you know, the good Christian, the good employee, the good mother, but it's very focused on keeping up this image. Efforting, which is where you and I um, fall in, I am very strongly an efforter. I've yes. had, I've dabbled in the others and I have a touch of the, of the gooding and avoiding, I think in particular, but efforting is where I'm at. Mm. And as the name suggests, we are about effort. It would not be enough for us to keep up appearances and give the impression that we are good at something. No, no, we are all about being the best, trying the hardest, giving things 150%. Mm -hmm. We are the most likely to engage in perfectionism. And so, of course, we are also the most likely to burn out. The way that we try to please others is through efforts, because for us, by using efforts, we have the receipts. In our mind, I've, we've done the stuff. So we use efforts to control and dictate outcomes. We think the more mm -hmm. effort you put into something is the more likely it is that the desired outcome is going to happen. And of course, we've both learned, as have many others, that that is not how life works. No, that is not true. <laughs> it really isn't. And so we try harder. And harder. And we give more and more because our solution to pretty much everything is, oh, okay, well, I'll just try harder. And so yep. one of our things in life is we have to really learn the boundaries around our limits and know when it's time to stop. Mm -hmm. Then there is avoiding. And I think this is where the way that we try to please others is by trying to avoid causing anyone to experience any discomfort, Ooh. any inconvenience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we will avoid being, doing, saying anything that is going to potentially cause an issue. So we are very, very conflict avoidant. Yeah. And we are the types when we have the avoiding style where it's like, well, what do you like? Oh, I like what you like. What do you mm -hmm. want to do? I want to do what you want to do. 
we will go along with things. There will be something, for instance, within a within our family, this big, very big, almost obvious secret, the elephant in the room, avoiders, they're like, I'm never going to talk about that. Even if it makes me completely miserable, even if it destroys my life, yeah. I'm going to please you by never bringing up the awkward thing. Mm-hmm. And this can get us into a great deal of trouble when we have this star, because it's like, I'm going to put myself at great discomfort in order to avoid conflict and criticism. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when conflict and criticism happens, we feel very, very wounded by that. Mm-hmm. And then we have saving, which I think of all the styles, I think a lot of people will probably uh, immediately recognize where people pleasing shows up with this. Cause this is about the helping, mm, the fixing, yes. the saving, the rescuing. And we can seem like all we're trying to do is a good thing, that we have good intentions, but it is unboundaried help and support. And anybody who has this style on some level, they, they need to feel needed. They see these things as being their way of making themselves feel purposeful and worthy. But also part of the reason why they people please in these ways is because it's also their way of trying to help and fix and save and rescue themselves. Mm -hmm. And anybody who has this people pleasing style will also, like an efforter, run the risk of burnout and will often feel confused as to why they experience conflict and criticism because they were like, but I had good intentions. Mm. All I was trying to do was help. But we're doing what appear to be good things, but for the wrong reasons. And that is the case with all people pleasers. It's just in this case, it's about the help and the yeah. saving and the rescuing. Yeah. And last but not least, we have the suffering style, mm-hmm. which is basically, I bleed for you. Oh, you can bust up my boundaries and that's my way of trying to please you. So it's like, we think that the more you suffer, the better that makes you as a person. Some people genuinely believe that allowing themselves to be in pain is a sign of what a good person they are. But anybody who has this particular style um, will often identify with having the role of being a scapegoat or the black sheep the problem one in the family. And that is their way of pleasing somebody else within their family or within their environment who doesn't have to take responsibility and gets to dump all of their stuff on this person. Mm. But what we're doing when we have the suffering style is we suffer in the hopes of calling attention to a need. It's like, hopefully you're finally going to see how much I'm suffering and then you're going to help me. You're going to make me feel better. You're going to meet my needs or you're going to stop doing the thing that I dislike. And of course, as we all know, that is not the way that life works. <laughs> that is not the way that life works. Thank you for that whistle-stop tour of the the different kinds of people-pleasing. Um, what came to my mind as you were just speaking was that they, they can look innocent enough at face value, but the thing about people-pleasing that I think a lot of people don't understand unless they've thought a lot about it as you have is that it's pretty much all manipulation pleasing Mm -hmm. pleasing anybody with an idea of getting what you want out of them even if it's unconscious is incredibly manipulative yeah and this is what a lot of people pleasers feel uncomfortable with but it can also be the thing that creates a big shift in them in wanting to actually address the issue because I think a lot Mm. of people veer between two camps which is oh you know people pleasing is a badge of honor I'm such a people pleaser I'm such a people pleaser I'm so kind I'm so generous and then at the other end people are like oh people pleasing is like you're a doormat and actually 
Mm. It's not either of those things. People pleasing is a misappropriation of your good qualities. It is the equivalent of basically going around trying to Jedi mind trick people Mm. with your gooding, efforting, avoiding, saving or suffering and hoping that people will feel the way that you want them to feel, think the way that you want them to think and do the thing that you want them to do, Mm -hmm. that they will reward you in some way for that. And it's also the equivalent of creating a debt and expecting other people to pay it off. There are lots of people out there who do things for others, who are kind and generous and loving and giving and all the things, just as many a people pleaser is. However, those same people who do things, for instance, for their family, or they stay behind late at work, or I don't know, they do something for their partner, whatever it might be, they do it with awareness of what they're doing. They're not doing it because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't do it. They're not doing it because on some level they feel unworthy. They're not doing it because it's some unconscious pattern that they learned how to do as a form of survival and coping when they were younger. And the difference between those people and people pleasers is that it's the why. We do things that for all intents and purposes are often, but not always, good things, but we do them for the wrong reasons. And it's mm-hmm. the why, you know, the hidden agenda, mm-hmm. the, 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 the dodgy reasoning that makes it into people pleasing and that makes it problematic. People don't want to be in hidden contracts. People don't want to be manipulated. You know, I call it the calling card of a people pleaser. Things don't go the way you want it. And you either say it or in your head you go, but after everything I've done for them, after everything I did for you, boom, people pleasing. Mm. And I think, you know, something I mentioned in the book is about how a lot of people pleasers feel very confused. And this will be particularly the case for gooders. They really feel very confused when they are not liked Mm. by somebody or when people are suspicious of their motives. And what we actually have to recognize is that in some of those instances, those people are right to be suspicious of our motives. Yes. And it is easy for us to argue, but I'm just trying to do a nice thing. You know, I've heard this a lot from people who, for instance, they've been for a a breakup and they don't understand why their ex won't talk to them. Mm. But their ex has asked them to respect their boundary of the space, but they're going, well, I just want to talk to you. And I said all these really nice things about you and I'm just trying to be nice. And I'm going... But just because you're trying to be nice, it doesn't mean that you're not overstepping the boundary. Right. One of the things that I heard about boundaries in the book, you say that for boundaries to respect us and others, they need to be mutual. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that because it sounds very simple, but I think it's actually quite complex. When you think of a boundary, people have like all these ideas about what a boundary is Mm -hmm. and they're not exactly the first thing that comes to mind. I would just love to hear you talk a bit about mutual boundaries and what a boundary actually is and isn't. Yeah. So what I was talking about there was that our boundaries are twofold. So when we have a boundary, for instance, that we want to, I know people like to use this word set for others or communicate to others. Mm -hmm. We also need to uphold that boundary for ourselves. And I think a lot of the problems that we, or the misconceptions that we have around boundaries is we see boundaries as a one-way thing. I've got to tell that person what to do. I've got to control that thing. Whereas actually, let's say that we're aware that we don't like something and that we want somebody to stop doing that thing. 
that's fine for us to communicate that, whether that is verbally or through the subsequent actions. But if we don't conduct ourselves in such a way that we uphold that boundary for ourselves, then we're actually going to keep running into the same problem. Boundaries are as much about how you are to yourself as it is about what you're doing with others. And so it has to be upheld from your end as well. Boundaries feel very complex. And honestly, they certainly have their moments in life when they really do feel like they are. But we are our boundaries. And everything we do and don't do, everything we say and don't say is us communicating our boundaries. When somebody asks you what your name is and you say, oh, well, you know, my name is Caitlin. And then they turn around and say, oh, hey, cat. When you said your name, you were communicating a boundary. When that person turns around and immediately shortens your name to something else, that is an example of somebody, even though it might seem minor, overstepping a boundary. Oh, yeah. My responsibility is, ew, that is not what I said. <laughs> yeah. And, but everything we do is a communication of our boundaries. So there is no point in us going, I don't like it when Bobby keeps borrowing money from me. And so I'm going to turn around to Bobby and say, hey, stop borrowing money from me. But then we keep offering money to Bobby. Or when Bobby comes back and says, can I borrow some money from you? We turn around and give him the money. Mm-hmm. How is that? A, like, we think that what just turning around and saying, I don't want to lend money to you is enough to uphold the boundary. What about what we need to do on our end? What needs to shift for us? Right, right. And what I was very surprised by initially when going through the joy of saying no was that all of a sudden you were talking to me about inner child work. And I was like, hang on, how does the inner child relate to any of this? And as I listened, I was like, oh my God, Natalie is so right. Gooding, efforting, avoiding, saving, and suffering, they are all adaptive behaviors for a a little child. And they're the strategies that we develop when we're little and then never really grow out of. So if that little part of us is buried in there and and it's kind of running the show, what do we start to do to to unwind this ball of yarn? If we, we're noticing that we're using these adaptive strategies that maybe worked when we were kids in our families, but we don't want to be using them and pleasing in this way anymore, where do you suggest people begin? So these strategies, you know, they were our surviving and coping mechanisms. They were, as kids, we look around at our environment, the people that were around, and we're like, What's, what's my place here? What's my job? What's my role? How do I do things that help me be good and to help out? And then we take on the role that fits that. And that can come from you get praised enough about being a certain thing or doing a certain thing. Next thing it's like, oh, what is my job to be of service in my family? Boom, you're now a saver. Oh, I get praised a lot for like getting good grades and putting in effort and not being lazy. Boom, efforter. And it's, it's that easy. And what we have to recognize is these roles become maladaptive, as in they become increasingly ineffective and inefficient because we're not supposed to use them in adulthood, because we're supposed to self-actualize and become more of who we really are. And so what we can look at is, what are the jobs that I see as being my responsibility within my family or just in my relationships full stop? And so what that means is that, you know, like we talked about earlier on, 
Some people can immediately go, oh, well, it's my job to be the listener or the good girl or the strong one or the problem one or the rebel or the black sheep or whatever it might be. Notice what your role or roles are in your relationships, because this is what you've learned to be and do, but it's not actually who you are. And you've derived a level of purposefulness and worthiness and, you know, an identity from this, but recognizing this and understanding, oh, so this is something I've learned to do in childhood, but it's not actually all of who I am, can actually help you to recognize the difference between you and people pleasing. And then you can be kinder to your younger self because newsflash, we're not those kids anymore. And we now have way more agency and we have the freedom to choose, but it often doesn't feel like it. Every time we people please, it's like the kid in us is going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to be in so much trouble if I don't do as I'm told. Mm. I'm going to get into trouble. Somebody's going to hurt me. And the more we people please, the more that we reinforce that message. And so noticing, acknowledging these parts of us, these jobs that we have can help us to have compassion for those younger versions of us. We're like those um, matryoshka dolls, you know, those the, the Russian dolls that have the nesting dolls. I do, you know, yeah. Where, mm-hmm. And we are like that, except for instead of there being like, I think there's like normally six or eight of them inside, we have like so many versions of us for all the ages yeah. that we have been, for all the different versions of us that we've been throughout our life. So you can imagine we've loads and loads of these. And if we can actually have compassion for our younger self and recognize where some of these things that we're doing are not in our best interest. So for instance, it's not in my best interest to continue behaving as if I am a machine and that I have no limits. Mm. And an eye opener for me over these last few years has been recognizing and having so much compassion for my younger self. I never learned how to have limits. No adult said to me, hey, that's enough. It's time to stop. It's okay to rest. Instead, it was demanding more of me, keeping and going. And then I have continued to do that to myself Mm. until my 40s and burnout on more than a couple of occasions has forced me to come face to face with my limits. We all have something like that in our lives where we have continued to do stuff based on childhood reasoning. And that doesn't make us a faulty person for thinking, oh, this is what we have to do. This is the way that we have to be. But we need to integrate into who we are now while also becoming the caretaker of that younger version of us who really needs our attention, but also needs some guidance from us with our nose so that we can stop hurting ourselves and so that our younger self stops perpetuating these patterns. Yeah, so, so well said. So I think you refer to it in the book as we are our own primary caretakers, our own primary caregivers. And you said no one told you as as a child that you, it was okay to stop. It was time for you to take a break. How do we know when is the right moment to say, hey, it is time to take a break? Or, or how do we know what it's okay to say no to? So I talk about the people pleaser feelings. Mm-hmm. They're like anxiety, guilt, resentment, overwhelm, feeling overloaded, uh, helpless, powerlessness, feeling low. These are 
messages from our body mm-hmm. that let us know that either the, the way that we're going about something isn't healthy. So it could be actually an all right thing that we're doing, but we're going at it in a way that really doesn't respect our well-being and or that we are doing something for the wrong reasons, that mm. we have effectively signed up for something that is people-pleasing. Yeah. If we can become more aware of when these people-pleaser feelings show up, then we can start to notice the integrity of our choices and whether we're doing things in our best interests. I think also that if we're not aware of our feelings, which is not uncommon, then we can also notice the thoughts and the energy of stuff. So, and I'm pretty sure you're going to identify with what I'm about to say next because we're fellow efforters. (laughs) I'm ready. For me, I've now realized that when I go at things with a very pushy, striving, hustly, sort of anxious energy, that's a problem. Mm. And if I haven't noticed that, and now I've become very forgetful, uh, where I'm having complete blanks about you know, I might have had certain things in my calendar or somewhere to be, somewhere to go. And I will just have a complete, it's like wipeout, have no recollection and suddenly be like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be in that place. As soon as that happens for me, I know that I have done too much, that I have overdone it, I'm overtired and it is time for me to stop. But if I notice at an earlier point, it's that pushing, striving energy. It's that sort of white knuckling, brown knuckling energy. For somebody who has the gooding, it is being very concerned with, oh, if I if I don't continue, I'm going to look like a certain type of person. So again, this is about noticing. You're either going to notice those people pleaser feelings or you're going to notice the thoughts. Somebody asks you to do something. If you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get out of this? Or what if I don't say yes to this? People are going to think badly of me. Then that's not a good reason mm-hmm. to, to continue. And that can let you know when you have a sense of limits. Like, you know, a few months ago, I came to the decision to stop doing a number of things in my work. And you know why? Because I noticed some people pleaser feelings showing up. Uh I noticed that resentment was in the room. Thankfully, it wasn't there in a big way, but it was there. And I was like, oh, hello, resentment. What are you doing here? Because I know that if resentment's in the room, then I have been overgiving. Mm. I have maybe been doing things from a place of obligation. And so these are the things that we can start to notice. Notice our thoughts, notice our feelings, and notice our why. And when we start to notice those things, they give us great big clues about when to stop. Mm -hmm. Natalie, if there's one thing you wish that people understood about saying no by the end of listening to this delightful conversation with you. Um, What is that thing? What do you wish people understood more about saying no? I would say no is not a dirty word. You know, yes and no are not separate. What you say yes to means you say no to something else and vice versa. And when you learn to start saying no from whatever place that you're at in life, You can use saying no as a way to heal and take care of yourself. And that's how you bring so much joy into your life because you get to say yes to what's true and right for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for your book. I hope that many people benefit from reading it and get out there, subscribe to Natalie's Substack, buy the book, start to become a a practitioner of no. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Likewise. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. So, what'd you think? I really liked that interview. Did you, like, first of all, Ben, what did you think of those different types? Did you see yourself in any of those types? For sure. I mean, many of them. I like how she called you out also on being uh, I admitted to her beforehand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there was definitely some off-mic back context. (laughs) There was so much off. We caught up for about an hour before that interview happened. So Yeah. But tell me, I I pegged you for a couple of these, but I'm curious to hear where you placed yourself. (laughs) I don't know how much our audience needs to hear. (laughs) No, I think... um, I definitely have some gooder in me mm-hmm. and definitely some efforter, effortinger, suffering. I mean, all of <laughs> <laughs> definitely saving, also avoiding. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll take I'll, I'll, I'll take it on. One thing that connected for me, one thing that I wrote down was people don't want to be in hidden contracts. Same here. I have the same thing written down. Really? And after that, cr- you're creating a debt and expecting other people to pay it off. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of something you you had said with Tiffany Dufu mm-hmm. about oh. wh- what's it called when you assign people tasks, but they don't know that you've assigned it to them? Yes. What's that called again? You two had a name for that. Imaginary delegation. Okay. Where you delegate a task to somebody, but they don't know <laughs> that you have. And, yeah. and you two were talking about... Even like mundane uh, house, like family life, ta- like I yeah. assigned my husband yeah. to fold the laundry, but never mm-hmm. told him. And then when he didn't, I got pissed at him as if I had he, asked him to do it, as yeah. if he had failed the ta- <laughs> like as if he had not completed a task that he was responsible for. Yeah, um, it's really incredible how often we do these things, and and it's not often out of any kind of bad intent on our side. It's just God, we just don't even realize our own. I don't know, tangled webs. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, a lot of this work I feel like Natalie Lou is sharing with the world is, like she says at the end of your talk, is about knowing yourself and being able to have awareness of what you're doing. And that's the first step of all of this. So I, I mean, I really took out just these five uh, different types of people pleasing is like a conversation starter. I yeah. was, you know, in the park yesterday, actually, and we were talking about that a little bit. And yeah. it's something you can, yeah, you can ask somebody, but you can reflect on yourself. Of course, this other thing, which is that pleasing is manipulation. Yes. Is very interesting that. and a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be something we can go into a bit deeper in the guide, in the app. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, I, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that was my that was my favorite part. That was like my big blinking lights on moment because I think it was something I sort of intuitively knew. But reading it that way, it really struck home for me, not just because of some things that I've caught myself doing in my life, but also... It, it gave me more visibility into maybe why I felt uncomfortable around certain people in the past mm-hmm. or around certain behaviors and feeling like trapped but not really knowing why. Yeah. And often it's because it seems like they have really good intentions and really they do on the surface. But because their their style of people pleasing is so uninspected, they accidentally, again, trap you in a contract they don't realize they're writing and they don't mm. realize they're obligating you to sign. Yeah, and that's like this good things for the wrong reason thing also. Yeah. But that's, I think that's why maybe I react to this word manipulation because that word to me is pretty intensely right. negative yeah. and pejorative, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. But 
I think sometimes people do it, and you two touched on this, like based on childhood strategies of, of you know, they don't even realize it. And, yeah. Or, yeah, so there's a lot there. You have to be able to realize the stuff. This framework is helpful to yeah. help you reflect on that, realize it when you're doing it. Um, there's also this mirror to your previous conversation with Natalie Liu, which you did live. It was the first ever Simplify yeah. Live episode, which mm-hmm. was, I listened back to this week. You did? Yeah. Wow, the, I didn't the, even do that. <laughs> there's this, uh, you two talk about compliance and consent. Mm-hmm. Like um, getting from compliance to consent. Mm-hmm. It's about work. It's about applying a lot of these things specifically at work. Yeah. Her previous book was about work, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I kind of want to use that compliance to consent thing as a bridge to the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. But do you have? Do you want to talk about your kind of key takeaways from the interview? I think that you, um, I think you kind of nailed them. They were they were the same for me. The the manipulation thing hit me really hard. But I was just thinking about the definition of manipulation, mm-hmm. and we have we've hung really like negative psychological ba- baggage on it. But it, I mean, there's a secondary, or maybe it's even the primary definition of manipulation, which just means to move something in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You're just you can't really help it. You got to pick something up to get at it, right? And we do this. In a, in a sort of figurative, ephemeral way, all the time, and we don't even realize it, realize that the act of picking something up is changing it, yeah, and yeah. that's the same way that manipulation works. You, you interacting with someone else in a space, yeah, sure, maybe it can be a manipulation, but it's not necessarily manipulation with intent and negative intent. But it's really great to be able to inspect why you are coming from that angle, and it's that self awareness piece that you just mentioned. Yeah. So let's take that into the books. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to recommend some stuff. Indeed. Um, you want to go first? I do. So. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you were what? so ready for that before I even. It's almost like we've done, like we've oh, done 60 you. of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No. By yeah. all means. Um, so. I've recommended this book before. It is, as I said, in the grand canon of like all the the Caitlin Schiller book recs. I've gifted this book to so many people. It was like one of the really important books that I read maybe five or six years ago that got me to think about stress and God, just the way I was working really differently. Mm -hmm. Um, It's by Gabor Mate. It's called When the Body Says No. It's about the stress cycle. And it related for me to what Natalie was talking about towards the end when I asked her, hey, how do we know when to stop? How do we know when we're acting out of integrity? We're acting in one of these people-pleasing roles. Mm. And her thing was, well, my body tells me. I notice that when I'm like, I have this like white knuckling energy to get through something. And then she said, when I start to get forgetful of things and that I don't even realize that I've committed myself to, I know that something's up. Natalie's talked really openly before about some autoimmune stuff that she had going on and really, really strong tinnitus Mm -hmm. that happened right before her burnouts. And I think that it's really wonderful when you start to like tinnitus and burning out and being in physical pain are, of course, really not great things on their own. But noticing when you start to edge up to that point and asking yourself, why is my body feeling like this? What am I doing mentally? What am I doing in my daily practices and habits that is getting me here? And some of us are more predisposed to have very eloquent, sensitive bodies that will talk to us and tell us stuff than others. And some of us have suppressed that for a really long time. I know I have, but learning to listen to my body when it is saying no and reading this book helped me do that has been invaluable. I'm still not perfect at it. I, you know, burned the candle at both ends recently and it resulted in like silly injuries, but I'm getting better at recognizing it. And anyway, 
When the body says no, fascinating. I really recommend it if you think that you could benefit from starting to listen to your body more or understanding the implications of putting yourself through too much stress or how stress is impacting your body. Because people-pleasing is invariably a form of stress because it's acting out of integrity, usually with what you really need. That's my recommendation. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, All cool. Right. Yeah. Um, body stuff <laughs> is part of the awareness thing that we talked about mm-hmm. and that Natalie talks about a lot. I was thinking about this boundary keeping and saying no. And I personally worry about overly committing to this path. Like I'm somebody that really values saying yes Mm -hmm. and says overly practices saying yes to things like all the time, just as a way to do new stuff and Mm -hmm. try new things and Mm -hmm. be pulled out of my comfort zone. Like, you know, many great things in my life have happened by just saying yes. Same. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I was reminded of a of another guide in the app, actually, by uh, Natalita Pereira, who we actually work with, mm-hmm. um, which is about saying no and setting boundaries. It's called Say No, Set Boundaries. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about it is she recommends a couple different versions of this conversation. And what's great about the guide is she breaks it up into these different perspectives of saying no. So Mm -hmm. there's like saying no at work, Mm -hmm. there's how to say the no, and then there's the yes beneath the no, Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. So there's this book, The Power of a Positive No. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've heard this, like when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what Natalie Liu is also getting at. Like there needs to be a yes under there. Mm -hmm. And boundaries are important. They protect you, Mm -hmm. but they need to be for something positive. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like it's easier to say no and what to say no to when you understand what you're going to get to say yes to. Right. That's exactly what it says here. So in the recap for the first chapter of the of Natalina's guide, mm-hmm. it says, first of all, no is a shield. So saying no actually protects your needs and your mm-hmm. interests, mm-hmm. which is you can see that as like defensive or you can see it as like beautiful and positive and full of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is in order to make a positive no, you mm-hmm. have to know what the underlying yes is that's fueling that, mm. right? Yeah. So if you know what you actually want to say yes to, then your no should kind of flow f- out of that. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's an, you know. I did that last night. <laughs> you did that last night. I said, said no, no to, something. to something because I wanted to say yes to something else. What was it? <laughs> it was, I was at a friend's or I was celebrating a friend's birthday and I could have stuck around and had one more glass of wine and I Kind of wanted to, but I said, you know what? No, because I really want to have a good Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And I was totally moderate and just enjoyed the sun and being out in the early evening. And then I went home. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. a good example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's protecting your own best interests. Yeah. Yeah. And and having those best interests maybe forward, not only the no. For me, I don't feel connected or thriving when I'm really just looking to say no. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking for my nose, when I'm super on my toes for my nose, super vigilant for my nose. That's all. I just want to say that for me, overly being hyper vigilant of where I can say no mm. doesn't really serve me as much as understanding where I can say yes and using no toward that end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about. That That's how I want to take Natalie Lou's five types of people pleasing, finding those things and d- diving deeper into what is that actually blocking me mm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
instead of looking for those places to get that kind of mm-hmm. pleasing win. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more that we can go into yeah. in this. I think that we should wrap it up for this episode. Mm-hmm. But we've been running this now for a few weeks with adding more context, having a deeper conversation, recommending more books, yeah. and playing some of the edited bits of, of your talks with these people mm-hmm. inside the Blinkist app in mm-hmm. guides. This was something... The Deluxe Simplify, deluxe, if, as it were. XXL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we this came from survey feedback that we got from people that they wanted more time with Caitlin and more book recommendations. With us, but yes. And so we're doing this as this kind of new format inside the Blinkist app. And in order to give you a chance to experience this, we're making these discount codes. So what's the one from this week and how do people do it? The one for this week is Pleaser, P-L-E-A-S-E-R. You can go to Blinkist.com slash friends and enter the code PLEASER. You're going to want to do this on the web, by the way, and sign up for an account. You'll get two free weeks of Blinkist so you can check out all the guides we've made for Simplify up till now. Um, And this new one that goes with Natalie Liu's uh, episode. And we'll also put a link to that discount code and so you can sign up right away in the show notes. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. All right. This was fun. Natalie Liu. Great. All right. So Simplify was produced by... Me, Caitlin Schiller, you, Ben Schumann-Stuller, Phoebe McIndoo, Ben Jackson, an assorted uh, team of audio engineers to whom we are very grateful. Odie Constantino probably had something to do with it somewhere along the line. Odie. <laughs> and made here at Blinkist HQ in Berlin, Germany. All right. For now, checking out. Checking out. Bye. Bye.